Well, good morning. My name is Chad. I am one of the pastors at uh, Bethel Bible Church, and it's a privilege to be here. Happy Father's Day. It's good to be a dad, huh? Constant challenge. So, um, dads, be encouraged because your, your faithfulness, your self-sacrifice to your kids, it makes a difference. It goes beyond the walls of your house. Fathers are an intricate part of the fabric of a vibrant society. So, be encouraged and press on in that role. I've got one Father's Day joke for you, okay? And it's, it's in honor of uh, the fact that the U.S. Open, the golf tournament, is currently going on as well. So here it is. Why do dads need to bring an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? In case they get a hole in one. <laughs> so there you go. In 2014, Dr. Fata, he confessed to 13 counts of healthcare fraud. 13 counts of healthcare fraud, admitting he intentionally misdiagnosed healthy patients with cancer, all so that he could make millions and millions of dollars off of their chemotherapy, which Medicaid picked up. Barbara McQuaid, the U.S. attorney prosecuting him, said this was the most agrarious fraudster in the history of the United States. The most agrarious fraudster in the history of the United States. She went on to tell the press that Dr. Fata did not see patients as people to heal, but as commodities to exploit. The whistleblower who reported Dr. Fata was his own office manager, and he likened the situation to a building on fire with people trapped inside. Put yourself in the shoes of these patients for just a minute. You're told something, you believe it because it comes from a doctor only to find out it's a lie, and a lie that has had tremendous consequences on your health, your well-being. Liars and their lies, fraudsters and their fraud, impacts people. It changes the way you live negatively. The whistleblower is the one that brought to light this lie, who shed truth on the situation, who set these people free from what he called a, a building on fire. This morning, as we continue our study in Colossians, we're going to see the Apostle Paul act as a whistleblower. We're going to see this agrarious lie, this fraudster, a false teacher, who is spewing forth lies that trap Christians in that lie, that negatively impact them, that damage them, that harm them. In essence, the lie is that Christ is neither supreme nor sufficient. 
He's neither supreme over all things, nor is he sufficient for you, the Christian, to grow in godliness. You need something extra. And we're going to see that this lie that the false teacher's peddling actually stems from demonic forces who have an agenda against us believers. And so as we continue our study in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to deal with this question, how do we live free from the lie that Christ is insufficient for us to grow? How do we live free from the lie that we need more than Christ to grow in our godliness? If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 2. We're going to be in 16 through 23. And today we're going to be breaking up this passage in three parts. We're going to look at demonic forces, that they're real and active. We're going to look at their lies, the specific philosophy that they peddle through false teachers to to trap us. And then we're going to look at God's truth. All as we attempt to answer this question, how do we live free from the lie and in God's truth that Christ is sufficient for us to grow as God's children? So read with me Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, our first point, demonic forces. Look at verse 20 with me. Do you see that phrase in verse 20? It says, elemental spirits of the world. This is demonic forces. It's first mentioned in Colossians in verse 8. So if you just look back to verse 8, you see the same phrase there, elemental spirits of the world. Paul clarifies for us what these are in verse 15. In verse 15, which uh, Ross preached on last week, we see that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities. These are demonic forces that answer to Satan, that are anti Christ and therefore anti-Christian. And then do you see um, also in verse 20 that phrase, submit to regulations. So this system of uh, religion that the false teacher is peddling is one of, of rites and rituals and regulations. It's something for the Christians to do. 
uh, in addition to what Christ has done for them in order to grow. But my point is here, what Paul is showing us by linking together these demonic forces with this system of religion, he's showing us that the real influencers behind false religions are demons, these demonic forces that are active in our world. And the common denominator for these false religions is to either eliminate or uh, relegate the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, God the Son, through whom all things were made, the one who has disarmed them on the cross, the one through whom we receive the gift of eternal life, to be God's children, secure in Him forever and ever. So instead of promoting Christ, as demons obviously would never promote their enemy, uh, they promote a system. Uh, basically, if you were to boil it down, it would be right knowledge plus right behavior equals growth or maturity or maintaining or gaining God's approval. So right knowledge plus right obedience. And that sounds right. That sounds wise. But it's missing the key ingredient. It's missing Christ. So if you look at verse 18, we're going to see um, a little more of the the demonic element at work here. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, you see this phrase, worship of angels. So the context behind that phrase is the Colossians rightly understood that there's this whole spiritual realm that we cannot see. And in that realm, there are ministering angels, God's angels who are ministering to God's people, and then the demonic that are accusing and tormenting or attempting to uh, believers or keeping unbelievers trapped. So the Colossians rightly understood that realm to be real, but where they erred was they feared that realm, and they attempted to engage that realm with angels, calling upon angels to battle the demonic, to help them in their circumstance, or to create a sense of control uh, in their lives. So they were calling upon them, and Paul basically sums this up with, with idolatry by saying worship of angels. So although today we live here in Tyler, Texas, and you guys might be thinking, well, this is, you know, so irrelevant for me, but we in some sense do get there is this realm beyond what we can see. Um, we call it superstitions, and they're quite common. Have you ever knocked on wood. Man, my day is going great. Knock on wood. Don't want to jinx that. You just admitted that there is something beyond what the eye can see that is attempting to control you. And you also admitted that you are trying to control it through some rite or ritual of knocking on wood or crossing your fingers or saying you don't want to jinx it. It's comparable. It's all comparable to what the Colossians were struggling with. We just laugh about it. So this moves us to our second point, their lies. We just looked at the demonic, demonic forces. They're real. They're at work. They have an agenda. We, in some sense, acknowledge their existence. And like the Colossians, attempt to engage in ways other than the supreme and sufficient Christ. 
So let's look at the lies of the demonic forces or these false teachers. All right, let's look at verse 16 here. In verse 16, we're going to look at some of the, the tangibles of this religion or this right knowledge plus right behavior. Uh, we see uh, questions of food and drink. This is the Mosaic law, uh, whether it's the dietary restrictions on food or the Nazarite vow, the additional uh, vow that you could take as a Nazarite with certain drink. With regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these have to do with the rituals, all prescribed by Moses uh, for the nation of Israel. And then in verses 18 uh, and 23, we're going to see that this false teacher is going to add something in addition to the Mosaic law just to make it feel uh, extra holy. He's going to add twice, you see in verse 18, asceticism. And then you see it again in verse 23, uh, self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. So this is all in addition with the false promise that, hey, I have something, a special knowledge, that if you do this, it will aid you in your growth. It will aid you in your struggle with the flesh, those self-centered desires that we have. Uh, but what we see here, it's interesting. Our translations don't quite bring it out, but uh, some like the NASB do. This word, asceticism, if you were to just literally translate it, it's humility. It's humility. It's these super pious, humble people showing you the way to growth is through denying yourself everything. It's through battling your flesh with your flesh. Through fasting is in this particular case. In verse 21, he says, do not taste, or excuse me, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So he's packaging this humility with fasting, or that's the expression of the humility by which you can grow. If you just do this, you will grow. Um, now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with fasting. Fasting is, is great. Uh, but if you twist it and you make it the vehicle of your growth, then you're putting Christ in the back seat. And you're actually using your flesh to battle your, battle your flesh. And that's a recipe for disaster. That's a lie from the enemy. So proper fasting is, is giving up the blessing to seek the blesser, Christ. It's, it's giving up temporarily the sustenance to seek the sustainer. So even through fasting, your, your object is still Christ. Um, another way to sum up what we see here with this, this false teacher and with the demons behind the false teacher, it can be summed up in one word. Try. Try. You can do this. You're strong enough. You're humble enough. You're meek enough. You're smart enough. Try. I'll, I'll help you. I'll show you the way. And not surprisingly, try, rather than trust, is at the heart of all false religions. Because we want to think we can do it. Isn't that true? I mean, I know that's true for me. So Paul shows us in verse 23 uh, the results 
there's a couple results that we can expect if we attempt to grow by trying in our own strength, by trying apart from Christ, by putting Christ in the back seat. There's a couple of results, and we see the first result here in 23. He says, this is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, it doesn't, it doesn't help with the real problem. The problem here is the indulgence of the flesh. What that means is, we all have self-centered desires warring in us. We do. We, we desire to be godly, but we oftentimes, sadly, see the flesh manifest itself, where I wish I wouldn't have said that, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And if we try to battle that, the flesh, with the flesh, I can do this, I can try harder, it is of no value. The flesh cannot defeat the flesh. In fact, what Paul shows us here in verse 18 is that if you battle the flesh with the flesh, not only is it of no value in defeating the flesh, it incites the flesh. It fans it into a greater flame, if you will. In verse 18, we see uh, Paul give us a description of the false teacher who has embodied his teaching, and now we see the results of his teaching. In verse 18, it says, um, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. He's puffed up, he's proud. That's the flesh. Look at what I did. Look how humble I am. And then we see his sensuous mind, meaning his mind is just even more filled with sensual desires, self-centered desires, sinful desires. Stimulates the flesh. All because having doubted the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ, and in the place of Christ you put yourself. So what about uh, for our lives today as believers? How does this kind of manifest itself? Because we struggle with this, we often, uh, whether it's, it's on purpose or more than likely just, you just slip into it. You just slip into the, the role where Christ is in the back seat and you just call upon him every so often to, to, to aid you rather than depending upon him, trusting in him. Uh, we see it with things such as a, a mom or a dad who really want to be a godly mom or dad. We want to raise our kids the right way. Not too much TV, healthy snacks, good clothes, good school, godly friends, be respectful. But we're doing it all in our own strength. It's all up to us. It's up to me to raise my kids the right way. The world is against me, and I must do better. I must try harder. I must find the right DVDs. I must get them in the right school, and then, and then, I will be raising my kids the right way. But what we, what we see and what we hear, and it's a common phrase these days, is mom guilt or dad guilt. Because it doesn't take long as a parent to realize that no matter how hard we try, there are all kinds of apparent failures. Some of them are just pure accident. But if we continue to pursue that path in our own strength, then it's a recipe for this overcoming feeling of guilt. I'm just not good enough. 
Or we might see it with a spouse or a son or a daughter who wants to honor the other, who wants to honor their spouse or honor their parent. And so they attempt in their own strength to, to meet every single request or desire in the attempt to, to please them and receive their approval. But we, we quickly find that we can never do that. We can never measure up. We're never able to check all the boxes or do everything just so to please them and earn their approval. And we, we become overwhelmed with feelings of worthlessness. I'm just worthless. I'm just a bad spouse. I'm a bad child. Or it could look like me from yesteryear, um, the Chad of, of my past, who, who wanted to control people's perception of me, all because I wanted to be a certain type of person, thinking that if people see me a certain way, then surely that's who I'm truly becoming. But in the end, realizing this isn't working out so well for me, I'm plagued with feelings of being a fraud, an imposter. This is all packaged in the philosophy peddled by the false prophets who are influenced by the demons. Right knowledge plus right behavior equals growth or acceptance by God. Try in your own strength. Here's how you do it, and you'll see. You will live your best life now. So that's the lie, and it, it is self-defeating. It is destructive. And perhaps some of us have experienced those moments where we want to be godly. But when we try in our own strength, we find that it, it just ends up costing us more. And we find that we're worse off than before. So let's look at God's truth. Let's look for a minute at God's truth. And we're going to see here that um, as we look at God's truth, it's focused primarily at um, our desire to, to grow. It's focused primarily at what we call sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Because that's truly what the Colossians desired. And that's why they were listening to this false teacher. They, they wanted to honor God with their lives. So if you look at verse 17, we're going to see Paul first uh, deal with the the Old Testament component that this false teacher brought to the surface. In verse 17, we have this phrase that these things are but a shadow of things to come. A shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What that means is Christ not only fulfilled the, the Old Testament law, uh, but he, the law was designed to prepare them for Him, the substance, the real thing. He had arrived. The actual, true reality had arrived, and yet they were grasping for shadows, something that had no substance to it at all, something that was a sign pointing to the substance. And uh, that we see also in uh, verse 19, we see uh, Paul described Christ as the head. Okay, he's switching metaphors here. This is now described as the head. You see in verse 19, uh, not holding fast to the head. That's Christ. So when Paul talks about Christ being the head in the book of Colossians, he deals with the supremacy of Christ, meaning he's the head of all things, 
Dads, we, we use this language all the time with our kids. I'm the head of this household. Same kind of idea. Christ is not only the head of the household of God's people, he's head of all of creation, including these accusing demons and these fraudsters, these false prophets, these false teachers. So it's his supremacy, but it's also his sufficiency. And not just that he's enough, but that he is the preeminent one in our growth, that it starts with him, much like the headwaters for a river. He is the headwaters. He is sufficient for our spiritual growth, and he is preeminent in our spiritual growth. And Paul makes this clear as we finish out verse 19 here. We see not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, that's us, that's believers, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So Paul is making it just abundantly clear for us and for the Colossians that maturity as a believer is exclusively from God. It's exclusively from God, and it's located in Christ. He is the location, and God is the source, and yet we look for it elsewhere. And then in verse 20, Paul's going to uh, address these elemental spirits, these demonic forces. He's going to blow the whistle long and hard on uh, the false teacher's uh, fraud, regarding believers need to fear and attempt to manipulate the demonic through angels. In verse 20, we see, um, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So the key idea here is dying with Christ to these elemental spirits of the world, to these these demonics. And to die with Christ means you are set free from your guilt. And you have received Christ's righteousness. Therefore, the demonic's most powerful weapon, accusations, no longer has any validity for the believer. That's their weapon. They accuse us. We don't measure up. You're not good enough. God is disappointed with you. You are a failure. Try, try, try harder. No, they've been disarmed. You have died with Christ. So we are free. We are free. Returning to the opening metaphor of as if the building was on fire is how the office manager described his situation. We have been set free from that situation, from the accusations of the demonic. We are totally accepted by God, and we are members of Christ's growing body. And that's true for all of us. When you, when you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Spirit forever took up residence in you, united you with Christ, His body, with Him as the head, and you are forever His growing by the power of God. 
So on, uh, let's see, Tuesday, I believe, I got, I got my hair cut. I usually do it before I preach. It's a good time. Um, when I was getting my hair cut, I was meditating on this passage. And as I was watching the few hairs that I have left fall onto the ground, I realized a few things that are applicable to this passage. The first is, as soon as that hair is cut off the head, it's done growing. No matter how hard that hair on that ground tries to grow, once it's cut off my head, it's not going to grow. It's just going to lie there and get swept up. Also, as long as my hair is attached to my head, it just keeps growing and growing. I kind of shudder to think about what I'd look like if I had long hair. It wouldn't be a pretty picture. <laughs> but that's the point that Paul is making here with this metaphor of being Christ's body. And that in some ways, Christians, our growth is like, like hair. That if we attempt to grow apart from Christ, try as we might, we're no better off than that hair just laying on the ground. But if we stay connected to the head, which... Uh, The false teacher did not do, not holding fast to the head. If we stay connected to the head, like hair, we will grow. It's just what hair does. It's an encouraging thought for me. So how do we live free? So we've looked at at the demonic, and they're real, they're active. There's a proper way, an improper way to, to respond to them. Uh, We've looked at their lives. Christ is not supreme. Christ is not sufficient. Try or right knowledge, right behavior, boom, equals growth, a simple equation, nice and neat. Uh, We've looked at God's truth that, no, Christ is supreme. Praise God. And he is sufficient. In fact, he's preeminent in our growth. It's not like he's a little bit of fertilizer. He's the very source and location So how do we live free from the demonic lie that Christ is insufficient, that we need to try, that we don't measure up? How do we live free from the fraud that we need to supplement Christ, that we need to do something more in our flesh? Defy the lie and dwell with the Lord. Defy the lie because you will get the lie. The lie will not stop, whether it's propagated by the world through the myriad of self-help books, or you're bombarded with these thoughts that you just, you're not good enough for God. God's not going to grow you. You need to try. You need to beat yourself up a little bit more before you're positioned to actually be growing as a believer. So we defy that lie and we dwell with the Lord. So this passage has two imperatives, two commands. Uh, The first is in verse 16, where he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one pass judgment on you. That's you, believer. Guilt-free, imputed with Christ's righteousness, united to the body of Christ. The second is 18. Uh, Let no one disqualify you. Yes, you, believer, who struggles just like I do. Doesn't mean you're disqualified. So those are the two imperatives. And what we see here is Satan, the accuser, who who has been disarmed. His accusations are now lies. 
But what we see here is Satan, the accuser, is still bombarding us, whether it's through the world or in our mind, that we are unlovely, unlovable, unworthy, unrighteous. But it's a lie because you are in Christ. And he is everything. He is everything, and we are in him. And he's conquered everything. So it's a lie. Dismiss it. Uh, To dismiss the lie is to, or to defy the lie, it's to shelter behind the shield of faith. As the lie comes telling you to try, no, don't. Shelter behind the shield of faith and just trust. Just trust what the Bible says about you is true. That you are a member of Christ's body. That God's power is growing you. That Christ is supreme. He is sufficient. So defy that lie. Dismiss it. Defy it. Hide behind your shield of faith. Shield of faith. Trusting Christ. Not trying harder in your own strength. It's also to go on the offensive. Because we are in Christ, we do have the ability to speak against those things in the name of Christ. To speak directly to it. Whatever is tormenting me in the name of Christ, you be gone and not return. Or it's to pray, God, I'm not sure what this is, but it's telling me over and over again that I'm worthless. Torment it. Torment the tormentor, God. Banish it from my mind. We have the ability to not only be defensive, hiding behind our shield of faith, but to be offensive through prayer. What does it mean to dwell with Christ? Well, it's the idea here I get is from verse 19, holding fast to the head. To dwell with Christ is to depend on Him. It's just simply to depend on Him and not yourself. It's to focus on deepening your relationship with Him. Um, In Philippians, Paul talks about how he just longs more than anything else to know Christ. And so let's do that. As we depend on Him, let's long to know Him, to hear His voice, to allow the narrative of who Christ is to write itself over our lives and over our minds as we dwell with Him, as we spend time with Him, as who He is transforms us. So defy the lie and dwell with him. So in summary, this morning, what we see here is that the believer confident, confident in Christ's sufficiency and free from the lie, divinely grows into maturity, not by our own strength, but by the power of God. So Paul is the great whistleblower Praise God for him. We need this whistle blown today, just as much as for the Colossians. He's telling us the lie lie is out there, and it is just that. It is a lie. And we don't measure up, but in Christ, we have all things. And that's what we must focus on, is the fact that we're in Christ. Defy the lie and dwell with the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for Christ, who is Lord, who is Savior, who is supreme and who is sufficient. Teach us as your children 
how to live out your truth, trusting that Christ is enough and that we are in Him and that you grow us simply by being a member of His body. Teach us to discern what we hear, whether it's from the world or in our own mind. And may we, by Christ's name, speak truth over ourselves and against the liar, the fraudster. Teach us to live in the freedom of being your children who are righteous in Christ and who are indwelt by the Spirit and growing in Christ. We love you, our great God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.